You know, we are in our third uh, week of our Lenten message series that's called Surrender. And during these weeks in Lent, we're spending some time focusing on Jesus' final words to his disciples, which are found in the 13th through the 16th chapter of John's Gospel. These are the words that Jesus chose to speak to the 12 disciples on the night before he went to the cross. And so they're sometimes referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse. If you were here two weeks ago, you'll remember that that first week we focused more on the actions that Jesus took that night in the upper room, especially how he got up from the table and he took off his outer garment, he took on the role of the lowest servant, and he humbly washed the disciples' feet, showing them what true service and true greatness actually look like. Last week, we unpacked the the new commandment that Jesus gave to the the disciples on that night. They were to love one another. In the same way Jesus had loved them, they were to love one another. And in so doing, the world would know that they were Jesus' disciples by their love for one another. I want to repeat something that we've said each Sunday thus far in this series because it's timely, I think, and it's important. I mean, the title of this series is called Surrender. And at first glance, it may seem like we're being kind of tone deaf because we know there is a horrific war going on in Ukraine. Most of the world does not want to see the Ukrainians surrender. We want them to be victorious against this evil act of aggression thrust upon them by the Russians. It's not that kind of surrender that we're talking about. In this series, we're talking about surrendering our lives, surrendering our everything to Jesus. We want to surrender our selfish, sinful desires to live a life fully devoted to living and loving like Jesus. Now, the title of this morning's message is Greater Things, and it's based on the verses found in chapter 14 of John's Gospel. Together, we're going to discover an amazing promise that Jesus made to the 12 disciples. And he makes this same promise to you and to me, to his disciples today. Now, there are lots of promises which are found in Scripture, fantastic promises, many of them coming from Jesus himself. John 14, 19 says, Because I live you also will live. In Joshua 1.5, God says to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus promises in Matthew 11.28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In John 15, 4, Jesus promises, abide in me, and I will abide in you. 
And just before Jesus ascends into heaven after the resurrection, he promises a gift to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts 1.8. And Jesus makes a very comforting promise at the end of Matthew's gospel when he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are all fantastic promises, but none of these are more fantastic than the two promises that we have in our text for today. The King James Version starts out this way, with Jesus saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you. And the Revised Standard Version says, Truly, truly, I say to you. It's like Jesus is saying, Listen up, because I'm about to say something really important. It's like he's saying or asking, are you listening? Because I'm about to tell you something you can listen to and receive from me with utmost confidence. Because it's coming on my authority, Jesus says. And when Jesus says the words, it takes our breath away. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. These two promises Jesus makes to us are amazing. And if we trust that all of the promises made in Scripture are true, because God can only speak truth, amen, then don't we need to confess that we have never taken Jesus seriously or taken him at his word? the very least we have to confess is that we have certainly been satisfied with far, far less than Jesus has in mind for us. The promises are ours to claim. The promises are ours to claim I've always liked the comic section of the paper growing up. Any of you, it was usually the first section I would run to, especially on Sunday morning when the colored section of the comics would come out. Those were my favorite. And one of my favorite cartoon strips was always Peanuts by Charles Schultz. I remember one comic strip that featured Snoopy and that little lovable Woodstock, you know? I loved them. And Snoopy is saying to Woodstock, someday Woodstock is going to fly like an eagle. And then in the next frame, Snoopy says he's going to soar thousands of feet above the ground. 
And then Woodstock takes off in flight into the air. And as he does, he's just kind of flying around upside down, and there's that little dotted line, and, you know, he's kind of going crazy and everything. And Snoopy sees that, and he has second thoughts. And so in the third frame, Snoopy says, well, maybe hundreds of feet above the ground. But hardly had the words gotten out of his mouth when Woodstock plummets to the ground, and he lies there on his back, dazed and confused with, you know, one of those little circles going around his head, and Snoopy has to to conclude, maybe he will be one of those eagles that just walks around on the ground. Isn't it amazing how quickly we settle for less than is promised and for far, far less than is possible. I mean, the dramatic power of these promises becomes more amazing as we keep in mind who said them. It was Jesus, the man who came to save the world, the man who forgave and and loved and, and washed the disciples' feet. The man who made the lame to walk and the blind to see. The man who calmed the storm and took little children on his lap and blessed them. The man who ate with sinners and forgave their sins. The man who finished all the work God gave him to do and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, crowned with glory and honor and praise. It is that man who said to you and to me, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. Have you ever wondered if there are not some things that God either cannot or will not do unless people pray? Scripture teaches us that God has chosen to make prayer a very big part of living life in God's kingdom. It's clear, not only from Scripture, but from our Christian history, that God's promises to act in our personal lives and in the community are often connected with conditions we are to meet. One of the conditions often set down is prayer. A classic example of this in the Old Testament comes to us from the book of Second Chronicles. Solomon, King Solomon, has just finished dedicating the temple in Jerusalem, the temple that his father, King David, had set out to build. And there's been this fantastic worship service with lots and lots of sacrifices to the Lord God. And that night, the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream and speaks these words in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Listen to the conditions God sets down. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And God says, if we meet these conditions, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Solomon had asked God to make provision for his people when they sinned. And God answered Solomon with four conditions for forgiveness. Humble yourself by admitting your sins. Pray to God for forgiveness. Seek God's face and to turn from their sinful behavior. You see, true repentance is more than just talk. It's more than just saying sorry. True repentance is changing our behavior. It's turning around and doing a 180, turning away from our sinful ways and turning towards being obedient to God's ways. And it doesn't matter whether the sin is our own individual sin or the sin of a group of people, or even the sin of an entire nation. These are the conditions God has set for us. And when we faithfully follow the conditions God has set, God is always faithful, always faithful, to answer our prayers and forgive us. It is similar to cause and effect. It is a partnership God calls us into. And it's an amazing partnership of praying and acting. You see, this partnership involves our praying, of course. And it also requires our acting. Anyone who believes in me, anyone who believes in me, Jesus said, will do the works that I have been doing. That really is an amazing partnership. Christ doing for us in response to our praying and Christ working on us and in us so that our acting is his and his acting is ours. And what's really astonishing is that this promise that Jesus makes is to every believer, every believer. This is what normal Christianity is meant to look like. So don't think that this promise was only for the 12 disciples, or only for pastors, or those who are highly spiritual, or mature Christians, or even professional Christians, or missionaries, or something like that. No, the scripture says, Anyone who believes in me, believers, pure and simple, will do the works that I do. Randy Clark told a story yesterday 
at the Holy Spirit conference that happened at a healing service he was leading some years ago. And this healing service was part of a healing school that Randy and his team had led at a church one weekend. And they had trained a number of newly um, trained people so that they could offer healing prayer. And on the first night of the weekend, near the end, Randy spoke a word of knowledge for a woman that might be attending the healing service that night who needed to be healed from Crohn's disease. And there was a woman who was present at the service who immediately felt a warm heat just radiating all throughout her abdominal area. She didn't have Crohn's disease, but she knew that the healing was meant for her sister, who was not a believer and who was not present that night. And so she rushed home that night and called her sister and talked her into attending the next night's healing service. And lo and behold, this unbelieving sister said yes. She came, and they sat together right down in the front row so as not to miss the healing at the end of that night's service. And at the end of the service, Randy came down from the platform into the congregation, and he began to pray for people on the front row. And so did the team that had just been trained. They began to come into the congregation and pray for people. And Randy went down that front row person by person. And for whatever reason, he said, he just didn't see or he missed the young woman who was sitting there. And he passed right by her without praying for her. And the woman who had brought her sister with her, the one who had Crohn's disease, was so disappointed. But she thought to herself, she prayed, Oh God, if it isn't Randy who prays for my sister, at least let it be the senior pastor. And if it isn't the senior pastor, at least let it be the associate pastor. And if not the associate pastor, then at least one of the elders of the church. But none of them approached her sister. But a 12-year-old little girl who had just been trained that weekend did approach her sister and said, may I pray for you? And her sister said, yes. And the little girl prayed. And immediately, the sister was healed of her Crohn's disease that night. And because she was, she came to faith in Jesus Christ, and she was baptized, and her entire life was changed as a result. Anyone who believes in me will do the works that I do. Now, what is the purpose of every believer doing the works that Jesus did? Is it simply to show forth signs and wonders? Is it simply to perform miracles for the sake of the miracles themselves? No, of course it isn't. If we back up one verse to John 14, 11, we find the answer. Jesus said, Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. 
just like the woman who was healed of Crohn's disease by the 12-year-old girl. People come to faith in Jesus when they see, when they experience, or even when they hear about the evidence of the works themselves, and it brings glory to God. So we have seen that every believer is to do the same work that Jesus did. But where do we find the power to do these works? Well, Jesus tells us in the next verses, John 14, beginning in 15. If you love me, he says, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Remember, Jesus is gathered with the disciples in the upper room, And he's told them that he's going away, but that he's not going to leave them without any help. He will never leave us or forsake us. He won't leave us comfortless, desolate, alone, or like orphans. Jesus is going to send us an advocate, a helper, a counselor, a comforter. Jesus says, I am not going to leave you alone in the world. I am coming to you. In Greek, the word for advocate is paraclete. Para means alongside. And the root of the word kletos means to call. So the advocate, the Holy Spirit, is called alongside of us. Just like Jesus had come alongside the disciples for 12 years, he sent a companion to come alongside believers, that's us, forever. The Spirit isn't given to the world, which neither sees or knows Christ. The Spirit is given to believers who have known and who obey Christ. Jesus says in verse 18, I will come to you. Jesus' resurrected life and power will be shared with believers through the paraclete. And the Father will also come. For Jesus said later, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Isn't that amazing? The persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come as the paraclete to abide and encourage and empower and to witness through believers. Earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 6, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They asked, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The disciples asked Jesus about the works, plural. Jesus responded to them in the singular by talking about work. You see, our primary work, our work that defines everything else in the Christian faith is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Our relationship to God is the deepest thing about us. And if that is right, all other things will be right. And if that is wrong, nothing else can be as right as it might otherwise be. So whatever the specific works are that Jesus has in mind, what defines them here is that they are things that point to Jesus, which help other people believe in him. They, the works, are a witness along with Jesus' words that lead people to faith. That's what his works do, and he is saying that's what all believers' works do. Whoever believes in me will do the works I do, the works that point people to faith. If you are a believer in Jesus, that's what your life is. Your works, your life is a display of the trustworthiness of Jesus. Now the second part of verse 12 adds something even more amazing to what Jesus is saying. And here it is. In some amazing way, Jesus says that we will not only do the works that Jesus does, but we will do greater works than these because Jesus is going to the Father. Again, this is every believer, not just the apostles, not just pastors, not just charismatics or evangelists. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, greater work than these will they do. Now, I don't think Jesus is talking about us doing more miraculous works than he did. Although I do believe that all things are possible with God. But I think you would be hard-pressed to do something more miraculous than walking on water or feeding 5,000 men plus the women and children with five loaves of bread and two fish, or raising a dead man who'd been in the tomb for as long as Lazarus had been laying in the tomb. And although the Holy Spirit gives gifts 
of the Spirit to every Christian. Not every Christian has every gift. And so while every Christian can and should absolutely pray for healing, not every Christian has the spiritual gift of healing. And while every Christian can pray for miracles, not every Christian has the spiritual gift of miracles. And while every Christian can organize and do some works of administration, not every Christian has the spiritual gift of administration, and on and on. So what are the greater works that you will do? All of you. All of you. You will receive the Holy Spirit as the spirit of the crucified and risen Christ. You see, before the resurrection of Jesus... That had never, ever happened before in the history of the world. And it still has never happened again. Although one day is coming, we are promised, when every believer will receive a resurrected body in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in the power of this absolutely new experience, the indwelling of the crucified and risen Christ within us, your works of love and your message of life in union with Christ and the power of Christ will point people to the glory of the risen Son of God and you will be an instrument to them of their forgiveness on the basis of the finished work of Christ Jesus. That will be new. That will be greater than any of Jesus' earthly miracles because that is what Jesus came to accomplish in his death and resurrection. And so our works are not greater than Jesus' because of anything intrinsic to us. But because our works belong to the new eschatological age that has been ushered in by the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so our works continue the glorification of God through Jesus that was the purpose of Jesus' own works. Do you believe it? Do you believe it enough to start the process in your mind of claiming the promise? You know, I think our problem is sometimes that we trust Jesus with some things some of the time when we need to trust him with all things all of the time. So do you think that Jesus just might be saying, you are more than you think you are. I mean, it's easy to think less of ourselves, isn't it? To focus on our weaknesses and our inadequacies. The psalmist says those kinds of thoughts in this way. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. 
I think the psalmist is feeling kind of small and insignificant like we do sometimes. But then he writes, God, you have made them. God, you have made us. God, you have made humankind just a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned them with glory and honor. And if I put these words up against the promises of Jesus, then I know that I am more than I think I am. That there's a place in God's heart, my friend, that only you can fill. And there is work to do in God's kingdom that only you can do. So let us believe in this amazing promise of Jesus and do great works that point people to God and bring glory to Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to spend a few moments in prayer. And I invite you to close your eyes and seek the face of Jesus. Imagine Jesus' face looking right back into your face. His eyes looking into your eyes where you see your reflection in the love of his eyes. What is Jesus saying to you. Let us pray. Loving Lord Jesus, we thank you that you see us through eyes that are true and right. We thank you for your promise that we are of so much value, of so much infinite worth in your eyes. So much worth that you came to earth from heaven and stretched out your arms on the cross and bled and died for our sake so that we could live forever with you when we put our faith in you. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great promise, your great truth, that all who believe on you will do the works that you do and even greater works. Lord, speak to us and quicken us and empower us to do the unique works of ministry that you have in store for each and every one of us here this morning so that, Lord, your body on earth, the church, will be made complete as we each fulfill our purpose and our roles. Help all that we do, all that we say, everything we do every day of our lives, point people to you and bring glory and honor and praise to your name. For we love you, we worship you, we adore you, we serve you. We claim your promise in your name and for your sake. Amen.